Revelation 21. Let's read the first seven verses. Is heaven real, yes or no? Amen. That's our topic. John the Revelator's writing said this, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God, out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain. Here's why. For the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write. For these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto you, unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. And I will be his God, and he shall be my son. What a passage. What a promise from the word of God. And I can't imagine, I couldn't even begin to fathom as John sees this take place before him. He had to be overwhelmed. (laughs) I don't know. Where I've heard this, that maybe Superman. I'm a big fan of Superman, the old black and white one. In fact, I think I've got a set of video series on that, if I'm not mistaken. I'm not sure if he was the one or Star Trek says they went to a place where no man went. Only John can say that. And oh, what he heard and what he saw. But my favorite part of this passage. And there's a lot of it here that thrills my heart. When he told John to write those things down because those words are true and they're faithful. Being of our service tonight, Jason, before service began, played the song, My God is Faithful and True. His mercies are brand new every morning. Anybody remember who 
Not that song, but who wrote those words? What prophet did? No, it wasn't David. Jeremiah. In the book of Lamentations. And Lamentations is a collection, if you will, of what they consider uh, funeral songs. And Jeremiah's looking around and he sees the devastation of Jerusalem. The pride of Israel. Their location of their God, if you will. And everything is destroyed. And as Jeremiah writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Jeremiah understood it's only because of his compassions that we haven't all been destroyed. My God is faithful and true. And John saw these wonderful things. and Wow. And God said, John, right. So these things are true. And they're faithful. We spent several weeks looking at what we call, for lack of a better way to define it, the history of heaven. And it's hard to say that because heaven's been around forever, right? Uh, but basically, we just kind of took a look at the scriptures. You know, what? <clears throat> where did men go when they died in the Old Testament? Even during the New Testament time before Christ was crucified. And we spent a couple of weeks looking particularly at the story of Lazarus and the, uh, and the rich man. Lazarus was a beggar, of course. And we're not going to go back through that again tonight. We spent quite a bit of time from that. But one thing I realized from that text, and it's a, there's a danger that we all, I think, are guilty of, of not of drawing too much from the text. I haven't bought the book yet, but I, I came across it somewhere just the other week. And it said, the title was, The Things the Bible Doesn't Say. Isn't it amazing how many things people think the Bible says and never says it? But sometimes we draw too much that's not in the text, not clear. But one thing I know is clear from that text, and that story of the rich man and Lazarus the beggar. The Bible says clearly there is a place for the righteous dead, and there's a place for the unrighteous dead. I know that to be true. We spent a couple of weeks examining topics like Hades and paradise and torment. We considered some different thoughts on each of these and even kind of looked at where they might be located. And I kind of guess maybe let the air you balloon last week to tell you the truth of the matter is the Bible's not clear on all of that. We assume or we try to figure it out. There's nothing wrong with that. But because the Bible's not clear, if the Bible's not clear on the topic, can we be dogmatic about it? No. We certainly cannot be. But what we do know for sure, number one, there's a place of comfort for those who die in the Lord. And number two, there's a place of torment for those who die without the Lord. But the third thing we know for sure, whichever place we end up at, the place of comfort or the place of torment, well, I should say man, we're Christians, we're not, we're not going to be in the place of torment, amen? Jesus took my punishment, he took your punishment. 
But no matter where people end up at, they're there for eternity. There is no escape. Now, by the way, I mentioned a couple weeks ago, remind you again, uh, the d- debate, do we have God's word? Uh, yes, we do. We've got the word that God wants us to have. And many would say, well, the Protestants, we took things out of the Bible. That's not true. That is not true. The Catholics added things to the Bible to make some of the things they, t- they teach easier to swallow. And one is purgatory. The Bible does not teach a place of purgatory. Now, by the way, let me explain the reason for that. If a person could go to a place, a holding place, to be prayed out, to be bought out, to earn it, then Jesus died for no reason. Jesus paid it all. So no matter where a person ends up at after they die, in fact, John the Baptist said that the axe is laid to the tree, and wherever that tree falls, guess what? That's where it's going to lie. So it is a destination for eternity, both of them. So while we can't be sure about a lot of things, I am so glad for the things we can be sure of. The things we know that are clear in the Word of God in regards to these matters. What can we be sure of? 2 Corinthians 5, verse 1. We read it last week. For we know. I love them words. I mentioned, I think I might have brought it up last week. I get so tired of people telling me this is how I feel. And I want to tell you again, let's don't base our decisions on how we feel. I don't know about you, but every time I make an emotional decision, I usually get in trouble. Our feelings are subjective. The truth of God's Word is objective. It is real. It is true. And Paul said, for we know if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God. A house not made with hands, and here's our word, eternal in the heavens. Folks, you can take that one to the bank. That's a promise from God's word. If our bodies are dissolved, and we know that if God tarries, it will be, but we don't cease living, we have a house eternal in the heavens. 2 Corinthians 5, except the end of verse 8. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body, notice this, why? And to be present with the Lord. Somebody say amen. <laughs> not soul, soul sleeping, not somewhere in slumber, not floating in the universe. When we leave this life, we will be present with the Lord. And almost every time I do a, a funeral for a Christian, I remind the family that because your loved one was a child of God, they're more alive now than they've ever been. They are with the Lord. So the Bible testifies of that. We have a place that's eternal in the heavens. And it's interesting 
we talked about Hades and paradise and Abraham's bosom. And, but whether we are the righteous dead in the immediate presence of the Lord in paradise, or whether we're in Hades, the, what we call the hell part, not the torment part, of, uh, but the, uh, the place of the dead, the unseen. As a Christian, no matter where we go when we die, and it'll be a place of comfort, we're still waiting for the resurrection. We look forward to the resurrection when we will be reunited to our bodies. Now, not one like I've got now when my knees hurt. Not one we're going to have surgery on our eyelids. Amen. Not one that Paul Snoggers always told me, you wait 10 more years. Paul, I told you I never liked you much anyway. But the fact of the matter is it's going to be a new body, a glorified body, eternal in the heavens. And so I realized a lot of the things we talked about the last few weeks can be kind of confusing, and I didn't really intend for it to be. But I want to talk about the heaven we're going to go to. The future of heaven. Now, by the way, I think heaven's real, don't you? I, I believe hell is real. The place of torment. I believe Satan is real. Amen. I believe the Holy Spirit is real. Uh, you'd be surprised at how many evangelicals do not. <clears throat> Now, what I'm about to say tonight, <coughs> there are certainly some disagreement in theological circles. And the way I, I told you before, those that don't agree with me, they have a right to be wrong. But I'm not that dogmatic about it, but I do believe there's coming a time there'll be a great tribulation. I believe it will be a literal seven years. And Christ will come to this earth at the end of those seven years. And I believe according to John 20, that he will begin to reign in righteousness for a literal thousand years. But when those thousand years are up, the Bible says Satan is going to be bound. That's Revelation 20. At the end, he'll be loose for a, a, a little while. And he will finally be defeated. There will be a judgment of the wicked. And then the eternal state will be ushered in. Now, by the way, whether you're amillennial or premillennial, mid-trib, post-trib, no-trib, whatever your eschatology is, everyone agrees heaven waits for the believer. There is no dispute about that. Heaven is real. The Bible teaches that after the great white throne judgment, when the wicked are judged... Cast into hell. Satan himself is cast into hell. 
And he will be punished for all of eternity. But also the Bible says a righteous. That's you and I. We will reign the whole of the universe. (laughs) With Christ our King, the Lord of Lords. It'll be a time when righteousness is going to reign. How many know we're not there yet? Far from it. But it's coming a day. (laughs) That's what we read in Revelation 21. And John said, there will be a new heaven. And there will be a new I want to go back to Second Peter tonight, chapter three. If you turn, if you please. And let's look how this is going to happen. Aren't you glad we have the Word of God? And I got to tell you, folks, I'm glad we have that to help help us understand. Here's how it's going to unfold. Second Peter three will begin in verse ten, down to verse thirteen. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. What manner of persons you ought, ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall meet with fervent heat. Peter says, nevertheless, we, Christians, those who are born again, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Now, I want to point something out really quick that's going to be important a little bit later on in my message. As we read verse 11 and verse 12, I want you to realize that's one continual sentence. And it's at the end of verse 12, you'll see a question mark. Put that on the sticky side of your mind just for tonight, okay? And we'll get back to that. The first thing I want you to realize, Peter says, the day of the Lord will come. How many know that? Now, by the time Peter writes his letters, Peter says another verse, I don't have the verse in my notes tonight, but he says in so many words, there were scoffers. There were those who were saying, you've been saying this for many, many years. We've heard it preached by the prophets and by preachers and all this, and it hasn't happened yet. And I would say, those who would say that are right, it hasn't happened yet, but it's going to happen. Peter says, the day of the Lord's return and God's judgment on this earth, it is going to happen. I find it kind of interesting. Peter says that day is going to come like a thief in the night. 
If Peter were alive today, they would get him plagiarism. Because he repeated what Jesus said, Matthew 24, verse 42 through 44. Look what it says. Jesus says, watch therefore. For you know not what hour your Lord doth come, but know this. That if the good man of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore, be ye also ready. For at such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man comes. And he will come like a thief in the night. In the early part of Revelation in chapter 3, Jesus speaking to the church at Sardis in Revelation 3, verse 3, and here's what he says. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard, and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee, how? As a thief. And thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. In Revelation chapter 16, verse 15, Jesus said, Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watches and keeps his garment, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Now, by the way, I would challenge you, if you ever get time to do that, to do a a topic search on the day of the Lord. You read about it in the Old Testament quite a bit, by the way. And for the unsaved, the day of the Lord is never a pleasant time. It's a time of judgment. It's a time when they will realize they'll not escape the wrath of God. So for the unsaved, it's an awful, awful day. And the Bible is clear. The return of Christ, His second coming, it will be swift, it will be sudden, it will be unexpected, and it's going to be horrible for those who do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the unbeliever. But for those of us who are born again, it'll be a time of great joy. Because the new age is being ushered in. The eternal, eternal home we have in heaven with God. First Thessalonians 5, 2. And then we'll skip down to verse 4 and 5. Paul says, For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. Verse 4. But you, brethren, are not in darkness. I'm really glad we're not. Amen. You're not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are the children, or all the children of light, and the children of the day. We are not of the night, nor of the darkness. Now, by the way, I believe Jesus could come tonight. And uh, <laughs> ushers into heaven. But we're not caught off guard as a thief in the night. We know he's coming. And so we, we're looking at what Peter says. And Peter says, get something straight. 
no matter how long it might take, the day of the Lord is coming. It is coming. And Peter says it will come unexpectedly. Make no doubt about it. So in light of that, as Christians, we need to live our lives each day as though Christ could return at any moment. You know why? Because he could. He absolutely could. And we've been preaching this on Sunday morning the last few weeks. As Christians, we must continually be morally morally pure and holy before God. Ready when he comes. The day of the Lord for the unsaved will be a time of judgment. The day of the Lord will be a time of destruction. In fact, Peter tells us that the heavens are going to pass away with a great noise. And he says the elements are going to melt with a fervent heat. And he says all the works that are in the earth are going to be burned up. And all Peter's doing is quoting what Jesus had taught him. Look what Christ said about it, Luke 21, 25. Jesus said, And there shall be signs in the sun, in the moon, in the stars, and upon the earth, distress of nations. With perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring. Now, by the way, we mentioned the hurricane victim. We need to pray for them. What an awful thing to go through. And uh, I want you to realize that catastrophe, and it is a catastrophe, doesn't compare what's going to happen when God comes to judge this world. Matthew 24, 29, like what Jesus said. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of heaven shall be shaken. Now, I can't imagine. Can you? I just can't. But I have the idea, try as they might, they'll not be able to explain that away. This is an act of God, a decisive act of God on the final judgment of mankind. The prophets also prophesied about a future Cosmic destruction. Isaiah chapter 13, verses 10 through 13. For the stars of heaven and the constellations thereof shall not give their light. The sun shall be darkened in his going forth. And the moon shall not cause her light to shine. And I will punish the world for their evil and the wicked for their iniquity. And I will cause the arrogancy of the proud to cease. And will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. I will make a man 
more precious than fine gold, even a man than the golden wedge of Ophir. Therefore I will shake the heavens, and the earth shall remove out of her place in the wrath of the Lord of hosts, and in the day of his anger. Now let me interject something here. This won't cost you anything extra. I've got a few minutes left. I've got 45 minutes left. I know. To me, the greatest evidence on the authority of the Bible is the Bible itself. How in the world could Isaiah write 700 years before it happened what Jesus would say about the judgment of the world? How could all these men from different parts of the world, or different experiences in our world, I should say better, Different backgrounds, write about the same topic and have that continuity. You couldn't do it if man was writing this book. This is from God. Isaiah 24, 19. Isaiah says, and by the way, I realized something. Yes, Isaiah was writing, but guess he was saying it. It was God. Okay? God says in Isaiah 24, 19, The earth is utterly broken down. The earth is clean dissolved. The earth is moved exceedingly. Isaiah 34, excuse me, verse 4. And all the hosts of heaven shall be dissolved, and the heavens shall be rolled together as a scroll, and all their hosts shall fall down as the leaf falleth off the vine, and as the falling fig from the fig tree. Joel chapter 3, verse 15. The sun and the moon shall be darkened, and the stars shall withdraw their shining. Now, let me stop here for a minute. I would, I wonder about those who say that can't happen. Tell me why it can't. How many know that? Light came about because God called it into existence. How many know if God says stop shining, what's going to happen? It's going to happen. Micah 1, verse 4. And the mountains shall be molded under him, and the valleys shall be cleft as wax before the fire, and as the waters that are poured down a steep place. It'll be an awful day for the unsaved. It'll be a cataclysmic event that the world has never known before. It'll be the final judgment of God on wicked mankind. But my friend Peter said the day's coming. It is coming. Look at verse 10 with me tonight, chapter 3 of Peter. Again. Peter said, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also, and the works that are therein, shall be burnt up. Hard for me to describe this. 
But there are three aspects of this conflagration. Number one, Peter says, the heavens are going to be destroyed, disappear with a great noise. Now, early on in our series, we talked about the history of heaven and how heaven is used in the Bible, and sometimes it means our atmosphere. Sometimes it means the outer space. And sometimes it means the abode of God. The eternal heaven is the abode of God. But when Peter's talking here in 2 Peter 3, verse 10, he's describing for us the end of the atmosphere above us. The King James says a great noise. It's one word in the Greek. Some translations uh, translate that as a great roar, as a roar from heaven. The uh, Greek word literally means a whizzing or a crackling sound with a crash. In fact, I looked it up on my strong concordance. And uh, I have a, if you click on it, it'll pronounce it for you. And the word sounds like that. Like a whizzing sound with a crash. So I want you to notice the word picture that Peter uses here to describe the coming destructions of the heavens and earth by fire. So number one, they'll disappear with a great noise. Number two, Peter says... The elements will melt with a fervent heat. Now, this could mean the celestial bodies will also be destroyed. That means the sun, the moon, the stars, the planets. And most scholars do lean that direction. But there's another view that says it could mean hostile spiritual powers in the heavens. I think both could be true. Our God wins. Amen. So the elements are going to melt with a fervent heat. The third thing is, Peter said the earth and everything in it is going to be burned up. Now, again, I'm not a Greek scholar, and I don't pretend to be, but I did do some reading. And from what I understand, it's a difficult phrase in the Greek to interpret correctly, to know for sure. And so it could be translated burned up. It could be... Uh, translated, all the works will be disclosed, but they laid bare. But whatever it is, God is going to reveal it. And it's going to be burned up. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 10 through 12. And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth. And the heavens are the works of thine hand. They shall perish, but thou remainest. And they all shall wax old as a garment. And as a vesture shall thou fold them up, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and your years fail not. So the bottom line of whatever Peter's talking about, the Bible's clear. Whether it's burned up or laid bare, the bottom line is there's going to come a time when everything on this earth is going to be annihilated. The writer of Hebrews said, God's going to fold it up like a garment. But our God remains forever. 
So the bottom line is, Peter says, you better know, this earth you live on is not going to last forever. It is not going to last forever. And the same way that God, or just as God intervened in the past, in the days of Noah, to judge the earth by water, there's going to come again a time when God is going to intervene on this earth. But in that day, the judgment will not be by water. You know why? God promised he wouldn't do that again. But he didn't promise he wouldn't judge the world again. So in that day, it won't be water. The judgment is going to be by fire. And everything is going to be destroyed. Now, by the way, there will be, no matter when God does it, and again, it could be today. It could be any time when Christ comes. But no matter when God does it, those who presume to take God's delay of this judgment to mean that they can do as they please, one of these days, they're going to have an awful surprise. You cannot do as you please. And so when this destruction happens that Peter is talking about, make sure we understand there will be no second chances. Now, it amazes me. You read the book of Revelation, and as God pours out those vials and those bowls and all those judgments, Oftentimes you'll read at the end of those terrible things that happen a phrase that says to some degree, and they still refuse to repent. So what was God trying to do? Get them to repent. But it's going to come a time when God says, that is enough. So there'll be no second chances. There will be no escape for those who said, you know what? I will not obey. There will be no escape. Not a good thought. But Peter has good news for you and I. Good news for you and I. In light of what's coming, in light of this awful event, in the following verses, Peter is going to turn his attention, not on the unsaved, but on the saved. And he says, you know what? It's going to happen. But let me tell you how you ought to live in light of that. Look in verse 11, 2 Peter chapter 3. This ought to be our response. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, What manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? I'm not going to read the next verse, but remember what I told you? It's all one long sentence, and it's actually a question. So Peter says, I have described for you, to the best of my ability, the coming destruction of the earth. And Peter says, what I just said, what I've just written to you, ought to cause you to examine your life. 
Amen. Now, I told you this, this is not a statement, it's a question. And the question Peter asked is, what kind of people ought you to be? Now, that's a rhetorical question. There's no doubt about it. They already knew the answer. But he told them any, anyway. He said, you ought to be people who live holy and godly lives. That's what you ought to be, and you know it. Lives lived through faith in Jesus Christ will continue after the destruction hits this world. Amen. For eternity. And because of that knowledge, the things we do know from the Word of God, that we can know, that we know, that we know, because God's Word says it clearly. Because of that knowledge, if you're a believer tonight, we don't need to be afraid of the day of the Lord. Amen. In fact, we can actually look forward to it. Church, He's coming again. He is coming again. Verse 13, chapter 3 of Second Peter. Nevertheless. How many like that word? Amen. The world's going to burn. The heaven will be destroyed. Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Glory to God. Well, we're about out of time. Let me apply it. Our government has a lab. It's called Fermilab. It's outside of Batavia, Illinois, close to Chicago. And in that lab, they take a, atomic particles and they accelerate them to near light speed. And their hope is that when they accelerate them that fast, that some of them, a few of them, will collide and allow scientists to observe and identify the particles that make up an atom. But any time they perform this experiment, there are months and months of scientific preparation that precedes that experiment. They prepare for it. Church, I want to say tonight, God calls for us to prepare for His day. By a concentrated effort, prayer, missionary zeal, the message of God takes hold around the world. Changing the cosmos with energy until God unleashes all His power in history's Climatic event. Now, we didn't get to it tonight, but Peter says we can hasten the coming of the Lord. We can make it happen quicker. And so we work together toward God's great day. But make no mistake about it, only God knows what day that will be. And Him alone. 
And so what, what, he, what should we do? I think it's time to cut out non-essentials. I think it's time to do a little extra for God. Time to take a little more care about our neighbors and who have no faith. Reaching them for Christ. Time to pray a little longer for a missionary. Time to be involved in God's work. Time to give that donation. So I want to tell you right now, God is accelerating the particles. The particles are speeding up. And if you listen real close, you'll hear the universe crackling. Let's stand again. Father, we love you so much tonight. What a joy and what a privilege to be a child of the King. Our hearts are broken, God, because of the wickedness in our world. And Father, I thank you that you've helped me to soften my heart to know that no matter who they are, they need Jesus. And Lord, if if we don't tell them, who will? So Father, help us tonight as Christians to take the name of Jesus wherever we go. To be a light in this dark world. To be about the Father's business sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Father, you died for our sins. You took on our punishment so we wouldn't have to. And God, help us to tell others that they might know you. And I ask it all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.